0: Politics without the soap opera with unfiltered constitutional conservative truth. The Conservative Review with Daniel Horowitz.
1: And welcome back, fellow American Patriots and Minutemen standing at the ready to fight anew for our liberties. Once again, to the CR podcast. This is your host, Daniel Horowitz, back in the house today, Tuesday, October 26th. And yes, fight again for liberty because that first fight was undone. Today was the day. Uh, that Franklin, Benjamin, Benjamin Franklin actually set sail to France to prepare for war. King George responded in parliament to the actions taken by the Continental Congress. How do we respond nowadays when we have a new system of government where an FDA could just meet in private and decide to forcefully jab and inject our children and there's nothing we can do. No safeguards, no nothing. The government works for these manufacturers, helps them produce, helps them market poison, and then no liability, no nothing. You don't even have the right to refuse. This is a degree of tyranny we could have never imagined. Interestingly enough, this is also the day, October 26, 2001, that George W. Bush signed the Patriot Act. So many things. That we didn't realize would come back to bite us. Some of us did. Destroyed our privacy. And here we are with no rights. Where do we go? Where do we go? So we're going to have a civil rights attorney on later today discussing the fight against the pharma, big pharma. And he's been doing this for many years. Um, but I want to talk about the display and projection of power. Meeting force with force. We can only fight back by using force with the political apparatuses we seize and control and how that works. First, a word from our sponsor. I talked to you guys yesterday about Seven Cells Telehealth. This is the compounding pharmacy that will both get you a prescription and fill it within a few days and have ivermectin and then soon nitazoxinide into your house. Now, there was some confusion. I didn't spell it out for you. It is S E V E N. Seven, not as the number, but spelled out, seven cells as in white blood cells. C-E-L-L-S. So S-E-V-E-N-C-E-L-L-S dot com. Seven com. If you put in promo code Daniel, you get 20% off. So this is $8 for a pill, but these are not the three milligram pills. These are pegged to the weight you put in. If you put in a lot of weight if you're 250 pounds you can get up to 28 milligram pills all for just eight bucks a pill a 10-day course would be 10 pills that would be about 80 bucks plus plus 25 consultation fee most doctors will charge you 150 200 remember this is cash based insurance does not cover this treatment obviously it's not approved by the fda it's off label but you guys have done your own research and will do your own research there's also a waiting list when you when you go to the website, it pops up. You could put in your email. As soon as they have the nitazoxanide forms available, that will be available to you as well. Um, a lot of studies have shown. We had a doctor from Brazil on that that works at least as well as ivermectin, and certainly the two together. Again, nothing's guaranteed, but this is in concert with the FLCCC IMASK protocol. Um, where they have ivermectin and nidazoxinide as the first line of defense. Nobody could get nidazoxinide anywhere, and ivermectin is increasingly hard to get. This is 100% risk-free guarantee. So, for example, if they can't write it to you, you know they have to follow existing protocols and laws. So, for example, if you are a pregnant woman, unfortunately you can't get it. Um, and if you filled it out, you paid for it, they'll refund your money. Um, do your own homework. But this is the answer to getting everyone treatment. Um, and if you go for first-class shipping, it will literally get to you very, very soon. And and they're looking to seeing how they can maybe possibly get more drugs such as hydroxychloroquine, azithromycin, and maybe uh, one of the androgen blockers or steroids as well. So, again, go to 7cells.com. That's S-E-V-E-N. C-E-L-L-S dot com promo code Daniel for 20% off your order. Um, now, folks, you know, I'm, I'm hearing more and more terrible stories. I had a story last night, Dr. Henson told me about a guy whose blood oxygen dropped into the 50s and he was trying to save him today. He was turned away from the ER. They found out that he wasn't vaccinated. Um, this is happening everywhere. We're going to find out which hospital that was in. And This speaks to the broader point I want to make today. My buddy Josh Hammer put out on Twitter the following statement. A right, meaning not a fundamental right, but the political right as in right wing, that refuses to countenance the prudential use of state power to pursue its vision of the substantive good and to reward friends of its just regime and punish enemies of its just regime within the confines of the rule of law is a right undeserving of regaining power. And I couldn't agree with him enough. You can't have the other side lying, cheating, and stealing to violate our rights, violate our privacy, destroy our health, destroy our autonomy, create an artificial monopoly for big pharma and big business to run our lives, big hospital systems, control healthcare with socialism forever, and then suddenly, when we regain power, oh, you you can't regulate to get back to the equilibrium. No siree. You know, a great example that I think of this display was Governor DeSantis of Florida. He is issuing $5,000 bonuses for unvaccinated cops relocating to the state. Normally, we don't like giving incentives, disincentives, just have a free market. But the point is, if you're going to have them persecuted and thrown out of jobs, we need a place, a refuge to bring them to. So I think that's a great idea. It's a great idea. And let me give you. Another example, before we get back to, um, to To the discussion of today, I want to talk about illegal immigration. You can't have the federal government violating every aspect of the INA and bringing in hundreds of thousands, millions of criminal aliens. And they're in our communities and they're doing all sorts of crazy stuff. And it's like, well, we're at the mercy of the federal government's malfeasance to not enforce the law, but, but we're a state and we can enforce the law. No, if they're going to abrogate, not just federal law, but the social compact, securing the blessings of liberty, protecting us, our security, from external invasion, external criminals, then we don't have a federal government. Of course the states have an obligation with their power to ban illegal immigration, ban any benefits for them, ban jobs. Again, this is another classic example. Oh, Daniel, I don't like regulating businesses with E-Verify. It takes 30 seconds to check. You cannot hire illegal aliens. You wanna take away all regulations on HR for businesses? Let's shake hands on that. But if we're going to have that, and we're going to have the federal government use market distortions to promote illegal immigration, then we need to use any power we have to you know, evacuate ourselves from that carnage. ICE announced that they made just 72,000 administrative arrests last fiscal year, ending a month ago, 50% less than the three-year average. So at a time when we have nearly 2 million illegals apprehended, God knows how many criminal aliens got in, hundreds of thousands, and they only got rid of 72, only arrested 72,000. A lot of them, I'm sure, that the immigration judges let them go. We had over 1.7 million caught just at our southern border, fiscal year 2021, the most on record. What are states to do? Do you know before this whole crisis, there were already 3.26 million illegal aliens under ICE's undetained docket, meaning these are individuals who have been targeted by ICE for removal, which overwhelmingly means that they're criminals as well as coming here illegally, and they remained indefinitely in the country that was before this massive wave. this was like you know as of over a year ago two years ago we all saw the case of the illegal alien raping an impaired woman on the Philadelphia commuter train and no one did anything but take pictures it's emblematic of what America has become but another case Polk County Florida on Saturday Five year old girl crushed to death in a car accident by an illegal alien drunk driver from Guatemala. We've talked about this over the years. So many, so many of them drive drunk. And again, who did he work for? How did he have a job? We need to make red states as unhospitable for illegal immigration as blue states are embracing them. But everywhere you turn, Republicans are on the other side. You know, in Florida, in Florida, you have that Senate pro temp, the leader of the Senate, criticizing Lapido, the terrific Surgeon General nominee for Ron DeSantis for not wearing a mask in her office. And she played up the cancer card, she has cancer. But if you're scared of being with people, then the mask is not gonna help. And then lo and behold, there's pictures of her palling around with people without a mask all over the place. So we have the Republican leader in Florida promoting as vigorously the most illogical, insane policy of the left. This is why we can't have nice things. You have in Alabama, a lot of people are noticing Kay Ivey, the interesting uh, governor of the state of Alabama. She issued an order. Oh, we're going to fight back against vaccine mandates. What's her order? Bait and switch. Nothing more than hasn't already happened. Basically, state workers aren't subject to it. Well, that was always true in a red state the federal workers are and anyone working for a big corporation it is. she did not touch that do you know why she announced it today to head off and take the oxygen out of the growing pressure to have a special session to properly deal with the mandates so if you watch these governors what they're doing they're trying to avoid a special session they don't want to use power in fact, they wanna use power for the other side. They're on the other side. This is happening everywhere, every place, all over America. We have to use power to go after these people. There's no way around that. There's no other way around that. You know, Hornaday, the ammo company, they're requiring claw shots of their employees. Unbelievable. This is a company that, that pretty much their entire consumer base are people from um, our our audience and, and, the, and the likes. You got, you got to get on the phone with them, Hornaday, and say, we're on to them. We'll use other ammo. And again, all the states need to go after Hornaday. Because that is not coming from the free market. It's coming from a violation of civil rights induced by the federal government. Now, speaking of big business, getting in bed with anti-constitutional values, there is only one pro-constitution, pro-family, pro-American Christian mobile provider, and that is Patriot Mobile. Um, They actually believe in selling products and services rather than uh, promoting an anti-American agenda. They have the broadest nationwide coverage network, same towers as the major carriers, so you could basically get the same service without having yourself pay for the rope to hang yourselves. They're, they also have a 100% U.S.-based customer service team, which is always nice. Um, so you can actually understand them on the phone. They have the highest rating uh, customer service team among wireless carriers. They share your val- values. They actually donate to pro-religious freedom, pro-constitution causes. They also offer discounts for veterans and first responders. Go to patriotmobile.com slash CR or call 972 patriot to get a free activation of your phone with offer code CR, and actually get a service for you that boycotts the bad guys and supports the good guys. Again, PatriotMobile.com/cr. That's PatriotMobile.com/cr or call 972 Patriot. Now I was just thinking, a lot of people are getting very excited about the Virginia governor's race. This guy Youngkin, you know, typical kind of establishment Republican seems to be doing very well, as he should be. The Democrats are insane. Most people in the country don't support what they're doing. The Biden administration, Biden's favorability numbers are in the toilet. But what are you going to do with that power? Just not step on the gas of what the left is doing anyway and and, and what is already in motion, even if you don't do it yourself? Or are you going to stand athwart history and say stop? And are you going to use that power to stop it? I mean, look, in a state like Virginia, I'll take that over nothing. But, you know, what is he going to actually do? You know, let's say they take back the House of Delegates and and, and the governorship there. What is he going to do? Again... The fact that people are rebelling there, the whole Loudoun County, that transgender rape thing in Loudoun County and the school board meetings, and, and, and this is a great movement. And, and it would be a great thing if Youngkin wins based on that. But that this is the problem. It's always the patriots that fuel victories for people that aren't us. It's Republicans. Republicans aren't who we are. We have to stop dying on the sword of other people. And we gotta get this in primaries, particularly in states where we're not you know, it doesn't take a miracle to win in a general election. And as I noted yesterday, we need to break all ties from Pfizer. We need a no Pfizer pledge. It's that simple. We got to do this before it's too late. You got to use your power. I mean, again, this is the whole philosophy of some of these judges on the on the Supreme Court. The left uses the power for their ends. They don't use the power to merely defend us. Oh, I don't want to get involved in the vaccine mandates. And right now it's not looking too good. It's very it's very scary what we're seeing. Very, very scary. By the way, I want to share with you one thing, um, you know, as they meet today, to promote the shots on 5 to 11-year-olds, again, just on the surface, if you talk to a friend and you debate this issue, they are applying for emergency use authorization, right? That, that, that's a very unprecedented thing. We've never really done that. Rushed vaccines that have already caused, you know, three to six times more hospitalization from myocarditis alone for teenage boys than, than covid even even with their way of counting covid hospitalization and yet they're rushing this well that means man this this has to be pretty devastating in their own trial their own trial negate forget about the fact that it negates the risk benefit analysis but it negates the application for emergency use authorization where's the emergency when not a single person in their control group in their control group got seriously ill You literally have a thing designed to stop a cold or a flu. But what's worse than that, I I wanted to get to this. On figure three of their trial, they talk about adverse events. Okay? Within seven days of each dose. And folks, I'm not kidding you. Like, more than half of them got headache- fatigue a good number got chills and even a non-insignificant uh, a, a, a massive number got muscle pain and even joint pain even a non-insignificant amount experienced vomiting or fever that that's what they would get from covid if they get it symptomatically you're giving them and again it's not clear how much of it is covid how much of it is a side effect how much of it is the main mechanism of action of the, of the spike? So you understand, we're vaccinating against cold, flu-like symptoms by giving them cold, flu-like symptoms. Except it comes with it, the risk of myocarditis, and the risk of neurological damage, the risk of fertility problems, the risk of you know all the blood disorders, and God knows what else. In terms of autoimmune diseases, and in terms of teaching their immune system to do bad things. It's shocking how they get away with it. But there's nowhere to turn. Which is why I'm saying we got to project power. You can't be like, oh, they'll mandate you use it and we'll make it optional. No, you have to ban its use. You got to fight fire with fire. That's not going to go anywhere if you're that meek and weak. Just not going to work. And you know what's so sad? What's so sad is this whole thing was designed to protect the elderly. And more and more we're seeing in the trials, even their trials show, it doesn't work on them. It really doesn't work, meaning, it's not just that it wanes quickly, it really doesn't work and you're seeing that. If you're elderly and you had the shot, you cannot count on that at all. And mind you, it's killed so many. But these nursing homes, they're admitting, Google this. I've, I've been getting all these emails from people. It's crazy the amount of emails I'm getting. People in nursing homes. So they're still locked down. So it's not working. They're still getting COVID. They're still dying of COVID. They're all vaccinated. Oh, they're like, oh, we need we need a a booster. And now they're doing mix and match because a lot of the nursing homes, they got somehow the they, in some states, like in Wisconsin, they only use Moderna for the nursing homes. So Moderna doesn't have a booster, so they had to use Pfizer. Mix and match, no problem. A Norwegian nursing home study said it showed that the first 10 out of 100 that died of any suspected cause post-vaccine likely died of the vaccine. And another 40 or so, they couldn't, uh, 45, they couldn't rule out dying of it they might have died of it and yet it doesn't even work and they're dying of COVID this is happening everywhere so they're atrophying they're destroying their quality of life they're aging quicker and then you get nothing for it absolutely nothing for it it's so sad It's such a tragedy. They could be given active form vitamin D to get their D levels up in a few weeks. They could all just be given Ivermectin every Monday and Thursday. And then certainly when anyone is suspected of having it, instead of isolate, just locking them down with no treatment, you give them the treatment. Are they even giving them the monoclonals in some of these places? Is genocide what they're doing to our seniors? Oh, they definitely need the vaccine. But it's actually the most dangerous for them and doesn't work for them. Meaning as bad as the cost benefit analysis for kids, and certainly it's immoral on the face of it, on adults, like on the surface, oh well, you know, certainly the virus is very dangerous. But on the other hand, this is very dangerous and it doesn't work. And we have another way of dealing with this. Again, name me the state where they're properly treating nursing home People, the way I said, not barring visitations, not having them atrophy, but giving them prophylaxis. Not a single one. So many are dying in nursing homes of the shot, and it never, not a single one of those is ever gonna be put into theirs. As many as we miss with younger people, older people, it's even less. But I wanna get to our interview today with the civil rights attorney, Today's interview is sponsored by ConstitutionCoach.com, our friends at Patriot Academy. Um, I'm looking forward in less than a week to seeing you guys out at Front Sight Nevada for our Constitution handgun defense training. We study the Constitution at night, uh, defensive handgun ed- training during the day, all day on the range. Beautiful weather this time of year in the Nevada desert and Pahrump. Front Sight offers the best, um, really the best instructors in the country you learn how to clear malfunctions. You learn how to draw properly and efficiently from the holster. Um, it's so much fun. Two-day course, four-day course. It's just 150 bucks, 90% off the typical front-site price for the training for the four-day course. Um, $100 for a two-day course if you go through constitutioncoach.com. Uh, next week's class is obviously closed already. But, folks, if you feel like you screwed up by not coming out and joining us there's more classes November 15th as well as another date in December. Um, that will be the last one of the year, but there will probably be more in February, March. Um, stay tuned. ConstitutionCoach.com is the place to go for intellectual and physical ammo. Now, friends, our next guest has been fighting this issue before it was cool. He has been representing... Uh, people trying to get justice for vaccine injury, vaccine exemptions, before many of us cared. And I'm ashamed to say, I did not see this day coming. I did not see this day when we would have the ultimate government corporate tyranny creating this monopoly over our bodies where they could produce any product, any medical device, demand we use it, leverage it against us, no safety guardrails nothing no accountability no liability no redress no recourse and for a while I was kind of fooled myself because hey I don't think I got ever got injured by an MMR or another shot I don't see any problems here there's no problem well now I understand why we didn't see it uh, because we see here The more you open your eyes, you see the likely injuries. There's an NPR article about people just showing up with sudden aggressive illnesses, blood clotting, and none of this is even investigated, much less recorded, so we could quantify the extent of the problems with this vaccine, much less litigate against it. And we're thinking, there's no way you could force me. I mean, come on. But, yeah, I mean, this is what they're doing as much as we have doctors in demand To try to deal with the effects of the virus well we have lawyers in demand to deal with the fallout from the mandates and both are very scarce so we kind of switch off every other day with a doctor a lawyer today we have a patriot lawyer aaron siri we mentioned his work the other day he's the managing partner of siri and glimstad llp he's had a lot of experience in complex civil litigation matters but he's particularly focused on civil rights and again for a number of years uh, with vaccine injury, I want you guys to go to his website siri s i r i l l p com, where you can see important webinars and information on you know requesting religious exemptions, uh, how to go about this process. A lot of you have been asking me about that, so I, I feel that is going to be very helpful. In addition, he also has really amazing information on the trials of the vaccine, some good insights. At his Substack, it's called "Injecting Freedom" with Aaron Siri. And with no further ado, we got Aaron here with us in the flesh. Aaron, thanks so much for joining us today.
0: Oh, it's great to be here.
1: Well, Aaron, I, I knew yesterday when I read your Substack article on that that family, the Dugerry family, that was injured. Uh, their daughter Maddie, twelve-year-old daughter. Uh, to be clear, this is not the five 5- to eleven-year-old trial, but this was a twelve 12- to fifteen-year-old trial. And I never heard of this until this week. I never heard of this case. I mean, maybe vaguely I did Ron Johnson talking about it, Senator Johnson. Uh, but that just goes to show how this is covered up. So you're thinking, wow, someone's injured during the trial. Everyone's gonna be holding their hand. You know, even if they exempt him from liability. Uh, the, certainly the government's gonna be very interested in getting to the bottom of this. Um, is there anyone standing for them? Where do the do Gary family go? And you as you answer this for our audience, could you give the legal background as to why our options are so limited when it comes to suing manufacturers of of uh, vaccines?
0: Uh, sure, I'm happy to do so. I'll, I'll, I guess I'll start with the last bit of it um, in terms of the protections that are afforded to vaccine manufacturers, in particular for COVID vaccines, um, uh, they're pretty much complete. I mean, you effectively cannot sue a COVID vaccine manufacturer for injuries from their product. Um, The government will axe your job if you don't get a COVID vaccine, but they, on the other hand, shield COVID vaccine manufacturers from virtually any liability for injuries caused by their product. And that is under something called the PrEP Act. Um, what's, what's most incredible, frankly, about the uh, immunity that these pharmaceutical companies, Pfizer, Moderna, J&J, are granted is that it's not only for you know, negligence and, you know, uh, a failure to warn. It also includes willful misconduct, um, uh, you know, which is, you know, really creates a moral hazard. The only, if, if Pfizer engaged in willful misconduct with regards to their COVID vaccine, the, you still can't sue them directly. The only way you could sue them um, would be if the Department of Justice or the Department of Health and Human Services itself first commenced a lawsuit or action, legal action against them for that willful misconduct. But of course, we know who's currently promoting the COVID vaccine, it, it is the federal government. So asking the federal government to go after Pfizer is effectively asking the federal government to go after themselves and admit that they made a mistake um, in widely promoting this vaccine. Pfizer couldn't ask for a better PR department than the federal government when it comes to selling uh, th- their product. Um, Not only does the PR department promote their product for them, it pays for their product. And then it requires everybody to get it. But yet it won't let any of those people sue Pfizer for the injuries. Now, with regards to the DeGarry family in particular, it is a pretty incredible story. You know, um, as you pointed out, on the one hand, you say, okay, you can't sue the manufacturer for injury. But at least, you know, which is the normal market forces is it's how we assure the safety of almost all consumer products. I mean, cars, planes, drugs, they're all safer because those who make them know, hey, my product's going to hurt somebody, <laughs> I, I, uh, I'm I, going to get sued. And so that, one, it prevents them from putting products out onto the market that could cause injury. But it also obviously gets them to remove products that you or refine them or make them better
1: um yeah so but, but um, by the way i, I just want to I, I don't mean to yeah. interrupt i just want to please y- you you tickled my fancy there when you mentioned cars i'm just thinking you know because we have gotten man over the course of our lifetime so many letters from toyota about recalls on airbags and 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 mind you this stuff i think everyone agrees is is really very rare but if there's any signal of anything and mind you there's no mandate it's not like anyone's mandated and there's also many many more options than you have in terms of COVID vaccines it's not like there's 20 of them um or 50 of them and all these car makers and yeah i mean there's tons of money spent on that here it's radio silence so could you go on and and, and explain that with the daguerre family so this is someone that was actually in a trial right
0: yes yeah so with the degary family, um, uh, uh, um, their daughter was in the trial. And so, OK, you know, as we were just talking about, if you can't see the manufacturer, at least we can rely on the federal health agencies to assure safety. Right. At least that's the backstop. Um, usually a far weaker backstop, I think, when you look at the history of products and how they got safer. It's usually market liability. But, OK, at least we have the FDA here making sure that the Pfizer vaccine is safe before it gets out on the market. Um, and, um, and here comes the DeGarry family. The DeGarry family thought they were doing the right thing by putting uh, their daughter, Maddie, uh, 12 years old at the time, um, uh, into the Pfizer clinical trial for their COVID-19 vaccine. Um, and, 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 and this was um, uh, for 12 to 15-year-olds, f- to excuse me. This trial only had around a 1,100 children that actually got the Pfizer vaccine. So it's extremely small from a statistical perspective. It's what, you know, many would consider underpowered, meaning there's not enough individuals in it already to detect, you know, uh, adverse events other than those that happen with high frequency. Um, And so, you know, you would hope that the FDA would carefully look at any injury that arose during the course of that clinical trial. Well, Maddie got her shot, and within 24 hours was in screaming agony in the emergency room, back at the same hospital where she got the shot, suffered um, um, a really bad reaction. Um, The the medical records from that day, the the doctors at the hospital even noted that it was related to the receipt of the Pfizer covid vaccine earlier that day um and you know over the the next several weeks and months she was back in the emergency room over and over again um ended up in a wheelchair um as is fed through a tube down her nose and suffers from a whole host of other debilitating issues um at first the um and, and, and so you would think the FDA would just come swooping in, right, and, and evaluate what happened here. But it's sadly the story is, is quite the opposite. Um, the, the principal investigator for Pfizer at that hospital, um, at first uh, they uh, said it was all in Maddie's head. Um, then they tried to claim, despite the initial notes from the hospital, that it was, you know, uh, related to the vaccine. Um, tried to claim it wasn't related to the vaccine. And then finally, um, the, uh, apparently conceding it, you know, there was a relationship. They then did report it. Pfizer did report it to the FDA, but they reported it as abdominal pain. That's it, um, according to the available records that we have.
1: Which is very smart um, because abdominal pain is one of the boilerplate um you know, risks on every single drug in America, including over the counter. Like, yeah, it could cause abdominal pain and people don't pay attention to that. Yeah. Uh, And, but I mean, it's,
0: it's extremely concerning. Of course, one, what's concerning is that the, uh, the principal investigator for Pfizer at the hospital doesn't appear to have um, properly reported it to Pfizer. Um, And in fact, you know, we, I, uh, the, the Gary family asked the reason they reached out to our firm and it was they're not looking for compensation. They, they just don't want anybody else to suffer what Maddie suffered. And so they asked our firm to re- make this her story and everything public. So, you know, I, we, I've put a write-up together. I posted it on my Substack, I, um, and uh, on there also includes a recording that they had with the principal investigator for Pfizer. And if you listen to that recording, what's most incredible about it, in my view is this. This is well after Maddie's already suffered the reaction. She's in the hospital. I mean, she's in a bad, bad place. And the principal investigator asks the family, how's Maddie doing? She's is she at home? (laughs) He doesn't know. He doesn't know. He
1: doesn't know that Maddie's still in the hospital. Aaron, slow it down. He doesn't know. He doesn't yep. know. So let's get in the mind of Pfizer. What we are led to believe in their supposition is that look, you know, these things are saving lives. They're amazing. They're preventing COVID left and right, even though COVID is more prolific than it ever was, and we've had more deaths the last couple months than this time last year, but okay, whatever. It's all the unvaccinated, supposedly. Okay. Um but but and then yeah, you know, look, there's risks, it's a pandemic. But the risks are very, very minimal. You're always going to have one in a trillion. And, oh, so then if it's a one in a trillion, one in a million, whatever, man, you're going to know about that because it's just so rare. And you're going to know everything about it. And you're telling me what I find important about what you're saying is it's not just that there's no liability. But, you know, a lot of us are concerned that as appalling as the VAERS numbers are, you know, over 17,000 recorded deaths, over 117,000 serious adverse events. Um, the concern is that that's lowballing it by, you know, ma- order magnitude much higher than than what it what it really probably is, um, a percentage of the universe of injuries and deaths. you're really validating the, those concerns with this case because this is a trial case. This is one of, of the clinical trial, and it and they were reluctant to record it. Right, I mean, is that what I'm getting? Even, even so, many within the trial, and 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 it wasn't like you know something that when you've got a fe- when
0: you've got only around 1,100 children, 12 to 15 receiving this injection in the clinical trial, when even one of them suffers a serious adverse event, that should raise blaring alarm bells. Instead, it it was a litany of denials, deflection, um, and 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 and. A, 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 And even after the DeGarry family went public with this months ago, they actually, about three months ago, they were on, as you pointed out, Senator Johnson held a hearing that included Stephanie DeGarry, the mom, and Maddie DeGarry, young girls in a wheelchair with her head having to be propped up. Um, Even though they were there, the FDA, and neither the FDA nor Pfizer have reached out to the DeGarry family. You would think they would want to reach out to them get the story firsthand, get the details, evaluate her, see what, nope, have not done so. And I think that it was at that, you know, having, even where, when, when the, the FDA and Pfizer still didn't reach out, even after Senator Johnson went public with them, even after they went on Tucker Carlson about three months ago, that's, I think, when they finally did reach out to our firm and, and wanted to do something even more affirmative and release all of the uh, release the documentation of what's occurred here, and, and 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 so um, we've released some of it on my sub stack, and we're in the process of releasing more of it, including an, another phone call that the Degarry had uh, the, the father had with um a representative uh from Pfizer's clinical trial calling to gather symptoms, and it's another incredible phone call. You kind of you get to see how the sausage is made, so to speak. Um, in these clinical trials, you get to see how safe you get a glimpse into how what happens when somebody does suffer an adverse event in a clinical trial, how seriously it appears to be taken or not taken as as in as in this case. But, you know, I, I, I'll, let me say oh, I'll, I'll, let me just I'll just say this. I, I think that the, the lesson here, if, if I may, is not necessarily that, the F, you know, that Pfizer should act better. They're, they're you know, they're. They may or they may not, or that pharmaceutical companies should, should act better. They, they may or may not, or that the FDA should do a better job. I think the lesson here is that at the end of the day, we have to always maintain the ultimate safeguard to all of this. And that safeguard is we cannot crush people's individual and civil rights when it comes to choosing whether or not to get a medical product or a medical intervention. No government should ever coerce anybody to get a medical intervention or product. And that is, at the end of the day, that is the real problem. Of course, trials should be better. We hope the government does better, but you know what they won't at times. And companies should act better, but we know they won't. But at the end of the day, at the least if people can choose at the end of that line of of mistakes, then there's that safeguard. But once you've taken that away, you know, you 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 have left you have taken away the last line of defense to all of these issues.
1: And the same government that's mandating it is also so-called guarding the gate on the trials and on the yeah. safety. And and that's that's the thing. It's all incestuous. And we talked yesterday about the, the impervious bond politically between the lobbyists and the money. It's it's truly unbelievable. They have more politicians working for them than, than they do scientists. And, you know, what scares me about what you're saying is that, you know, everyone hears all these trials. What Whatever big pharma puts out, just know it's amazing. Whether it's remdesivir, even though it had the worst record of the four trials with Ebola from 2019 and killed 53% of the people um, or 53% of people died under it, which was higher than the death rate of Ebola even. Um, whether it's or malpr- the new Merck drug. It is, I mean, fewer adverse events than in the control group. I mean, they say it, it's, you know, so everything, there's no, there's no doubt. The outcome is not in doubt what's going to happen from the meeting today or next Tuesday, which is the big date, November 2nd. No matter what age, what concoction, what branch for whom it's going to be amazing, no problems. But what you're telling me, the concern I have is if you have a case of a 12-year-old out of nowhere within 24 hours getting systemic debilitations from it that are extremely unusual, and even that is was covered up so much – what about just the plain good old blood clotting and platelet issues from a 55, 65-year-old? Do you think we're catching all of those?
0: I think you answered your own question. <laughs> um, I, I, and and, and I, I'll add to it. I'll add to it and say this. The DeGarry family agreed to come forward with this. Were there others in the trial who suffered injuries? Like you said, maybe not as severe as Maddie maybe just as severe, but if they do not go public with it, we'll just never know. We don't know what other, I mean, the clinical trials, you know, and I, folks may not know this, but they might are not conducted by the FDA. They're conducted by what's called the sponsor, which in this case meant Pfizer, Pfizer conducts the clinical trial. It hires the, you know, the, the, the uh, clinical trial investigator at each uh, principal investigator at each of the clinical trial sites. I mean, when the uh, principal investigator at that hospital for the trial, who do they report the information to? They're reported to Pfizer. Pfizer aggregates all that information and Pfizer submits it to the FDA. That's the normal course of how the information flows. So, you know, I, I, unless Pfizer chooses. It has to go from the individuals who are injured to the principal investigator, to Pfizer, to the FDA. And, you know, we all know how the game of broken telephone works. Um, so...
1: And, it, and this is the real concern. Know, I don't
0: blame... i got to tell you... Oh, um, please.
1: No, I'm just saying, I, I, what you're we saying, I don't, you, you don't blame Pfizer, right? Because they they want to make money.
0: I, I don't blame Pfizer so much in that... I mean, Pfizer's... Let me Let me... Let me strike saying that. Let me put it this way. Pfizer is a fiduciary duty to the shareholders to increase profitability. Everybody who owns a pension fund or has money in the stock market and owns Pfizer's stock, they want their stock price to go up. That's Pfizer's fiduciary duty. The issue is the structural conflict that's been created by our elected officials in the government. They have created a system in which Pfizer is told, hey, listen, you go make a product a vaccine for COVID-19 vaccine, and look what we'll do. One, nobody can sue you for injury. Two, we'll use federal government money to pom-pom cheerlead your product for you. Best PR firm in the world. you want to stamp legitimacy? You got it, you know? And then, and then uh, uh, um, and three, folks who say negative things about you on social media, we'll work on that too. We'll, we'll even try to get that censored. Oh, and then finally, and this is the best part. You, you're worried about selling your product? Don't worry. One, we'll buy it from you. We'll pay you for it.
1: And two, <laughs> we'll mandate people to get it. Oh, that's so and and then And then we have you these got idiots the being yep. like, Daniel, I'm for the free market. I don't like telling businesses they can't ma- mandate, which is funny because, you know, we mandate the heck out of business, you know businesses, HR, ADA, OSHA, everything. Suddenly now, you know, there's nothing free market about this. And I, I really like the way you presented that. And and again, we're not what what the biggest takeaway from when I read your article, I said this is worse than I even think because again, as dangerous as this could be to anyone, it's going to be more dangerous to elderly people. The virus is more dangerous, but the, the, but the mechanism of action of the spike protein also is going to be, and all those things unless they spontaneously combust within 24 hours, but if they kind of languish a few weeks later and they just kind of mysteriously die blood clotting, other things, stroke, it's never going to get traced back to it, even if it was indeed caused by it. I want to get to religious exemptions. But before that, just to round off this discussion, could you explain for our audience just clearly the difference between the 1986 law exempting generically uh, vaccine manufacturers from liability and then the PrEP Act specifically for COVID passed last year?
0: Well, the the difference between the 1986 Act and uh, the PrEP Act is essentially as follows. Leading up to 1986, there were effectively only three routine childhood vaccines, and there was only one manufacturer left for each of them because they were facing so much, uh, they were facing enormous liability for the injuries that were being caused uh, by the vaccine products. On the market, and so you know, as the U.S. Supreme Court said, the remaining manufacturer of the DTP vaccine was facing 200 times the liability from that product than from the revenue it generated. Now, you know, for better or worse, in our country, we measure the value of products uh, by the how much revenue it brings in versus how much harm it does to society, and we do that based on dollars. And obviously, if it causes harm but it's very valuable, we just raise the price. Here, instead of letting the market forces correct for you know the issues with the uh, um, childhood vaccines and and force the manufacturers to make them safer, Congress, unlike virtually any other consumer product, did the opposite. It said, "Hey, you can keep selling those products. What we're going to do instead, we're going to give you immunity from liability, so that you know for these." three routine childhood vaccines and any childhood vaccine going forward um, adopted by the CDC on its childhood schedules routine, we are going to give you immunity from liability for injuries caused by those products effectively. And so um, in, if you're injured by a child, if your child is injured by a childhood vaccine, or if you're an adult injured by a vaccine that's also given to children, you can't sue the manufacturer in the United States for those injuries, Um, you have to bring a claim in something called the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program in the Federal Court of Claims in Washington, D.C. You sue the secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, that is the federal government. That is the department in which the CDC, NIH, and FDA are located, meaning you are literally suing the very people who are responsible for vaccine safety as well to um, seek um, to get compensation for your vaccine injury. Um, which, of course, just creates you know, a, a basic structural conflict in that if the CDC or FDA or NIH put any study out that says a childhood vaccine causes an injury, what are the lawyers in vaccine court going to do? They're going to use it against the government as effectively an admission against interest. just creates a, a pretty basic conflict. Now, in vaccine court, as it's colloquially known, you don't get any discovery as a right. That means you can't just go and depose the pharmaceutical company. For, um, to try and prove the vaccine-caused injury or get discovery against them. Um, in fact, you're, you know, unlike traditional court, you're, you are very limited in what you can do in, um, uh, in that, vis-a-vis gathering evidence in that regard. Um, you also have to uh, fight against a little law firm called the Department of Justice. You might have heard of them. They have uh, a lot of our taxpayer money. <laughs> and they actually have a whole cadre of specialized attorneys that only fight vaccine injury claims. And they have, again, our taxpayer money to hire experts around the country to fight those claims. On the other side are the petitioners' attorneys um, who cannot get discovery in the manner I just described. Um, uh, experts are typically very reluctant to say anything bad about vaccines um, and, um, and must almost always prove, prove that the vaccine cause the injury, must actually prove what's known as causation. So, um, and uh, uh, pain and suffering is capped at $250,000, and death is, uh, if you're, is capped at $250,000. So even if you've got a debilitating, painful, you know, uh, a neuritis, you know, downbracing that results, and you're in a wheelchair for the rest of your life, if you went to traditional court, you might be able to get tens of millions of dollars. Here, you'll get no more than $250,000 for pain and suffering. Um, and there's also lost wages and a few other things. Now, so um, that is what the 1986, the, re, the, the, compens- the compensation regime created by the 1986 Act, um, in a nutshell. There's a lot more details, but I'm trying to give the broad strokes. In contrast, the PrEP Act um, is yet another layer of immunity, meaning for the COVID vaccines, Um, The 1986 Act will likely still will apply once the COVID vaccine is added to the childhood schedule of the CDC. Um, uh, But until then, um, the the, the PrEP Act applies. And what the PrEP Act effectively does is it gives, as we discussed earlier, complete immunity to liability. If you're to to the pharmaceutical companies for injuries caused by the COVID vaccine, If you are injured by the COVID vaccine, there is a program called the CICP, the the Countermeasures Injury Compensation Program, uh, where you can apply for compensation. But, um, and this is why virtually no attorney I know of that even practices in the Vaccine Injury Court would, uh, is handling CICP claims, you have to prove, you have to prove that COVID vaccine in fact caused the injury. you know, there, there's a virtually, you know, there, there's a there's a dearth of science already regarding safety vis-a-vis childhood vaccines, um, as as you know, that's what the you know the manner in which vaccines affect your body is, is 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 still in large part unknown, as as the uh, as an federal federal appellate court said, uh, uh, not not even you know it's not me saying it, that's what a federal appellate court said. Um, And um, uh, with COVID vaccines, the the science is even less robust. So proving that's almost, you know, uh, good luck is what I can say. And then, but secondly, because temporal relationship is not sufficient, just because you got the COVID vaccine immediately were injured, that's not good enough, right? Um, And even if there's no other explanation, that's not good enough. You need to show how it caused the injury?
1: Oh, so you're saying That's, even all yes. these thousands of myocarditis cases—you have a, you know, 18-year-old boy um, develops myocarditis, brought into the ER a couple days after the shot. You're saying yeah. that wouldn't cut it.
0: That typically, no, no, typically that would not cut it. That you actually have to show causation. You have to show uh, a temporal relationship and uh, the elimination of any other factors. Are, um, are not considered typically sufficient to prove causation. You have to show how. How did the vaccine do it? Was it, you know, um, you know uh, bystander activation or molecular mimicry, which are immunological concepts that could potentially explain how a vaccine causes, a, you know, certain immune dysregulation. You'd have to actually show, you'd have to, you'd have to show that and support that. And, I'm, you know, yeah. but here's the worst, here's the worst part. Let's assume you could prove that, okay? And in the history of the CICP, there have been almost, there have been very few cases. I mean, I believe it was maybe a dozen or two total in the whole history of the program, um, uh, uh, claims that have been actually compensated. Um, but even if you can, your damages are extremely limited. The only damages you can typically obtain are up to 50,000 a year on lost wages, and your medical expenses if you didn't die. And if you die, uh, you know, a death benefit. So if you're a 65-year-old retiree, and you get severely injured and are going to suffer for the rest of your life, um, well, you have no lost wages, you're retired. And if your medical expenses are covered by you know, government or private health insurance, even if you win, you get nothing. Um, And when I say win, by the way, it's not really a traditional adversarial proceeding. You're filing within HHS, the very, again, federal department that is currently promoting widely the vaccine. So that kind of gives you an overview of the difference between those two programs. There's lots of details. Obviously, if anybody is impacted the vaccine, they should seek appropriate and competent counsel, uh, not just rely on the, the very general information I just provided. My firm does handle... Vaccine injury claims uh, generally, and there is additional information on, on my firm's website. And,
1: and what's important to point out, and I know we talked about this earlier, but, but here's the deal. The deal is that, you know, you got, with the PrEP Act, it expanded it to all of COVID. So it's not just the vaccines. Typically, drug makers are subject to liability. But Merck developing their new drug and remdesivir from Gilead, they are exempt they are exempt.
0: Um, right. All drugs, all drugs, um, anything considered a clinical countermeasure um, that is being developed or is authorized or licensed to uh, address COVID-19 will generally fall under the protections of the PrEP Act. So, yes, from Desvier would also be covered.
1: That is that is nuts. That is crazy. Um, we're pretty much out of time, but I just want, real briefly, if you can give an overview Um, it seems like the most auspicious avenue of dealing with the mandate is to apply for religious exemption because you can certainly never question the medical or scientific grounding of these sacred shots. So the religious liberty is really the best angle. A lot of people are asking how they go about doing that without inveighing against the foundation of the science of this thing because it all kind of gets back to that, that, you know, we typically are not supposed to take risks with our bodies that are greater than the benefit and, you know, undue risk, whether it's children or whether you have better ways of dealing with the virus. But certainly that doesn't fly. So what sort of um, religious exemption real broadly could people apply for that they're not going to laugh at?
0: Yeah. Um, uh, so i in terms of broad strokes, and this is a, you know, this is religious exemptions are something that need to be handled very carefully. There's a lot of dos, there's a lot of don'ts. Um, And, you know, we've, we've got a lot of free information on our firm's website in the vaccine exemption section that folks can take a look at. Um, But, but in broad strokes, you do not need to be part of an organized religion to get a religious exemption. That's the first misconception people have. It, 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 It's you can even be part of an organized religion that, you know, where the leaders of the religion say you should get the vaccine. That's not the standard. The standard is whether or not you as an individual have sincerely held religious belief that is contrary to the practice of giving the COVID vaccine. Now, it's not just good enough to say that you have that. Okay, the burden is on, on the in context of an employer employer situation on the employee to actually support that they have a sincere and religious belief. And that's the two key words, that it's religious, meaning that it's not you know, secular in nature, hence you don't wanna talk about like safety issues, or, and that it's indeed sincere. Um, and, and the way you do that is you submit a statement of belief. Uh, you know, and that statement should include how you came to your faith, how long have you had your faith, how the faith plays out in your daily life that doesn't pertain to vaccination, you want to like, lay the foundations for the objections to the COVID vaccine and then explain what those objections are. And I can give you like, you know, two common grounds that we see folks, you know, express as very, you know, sincere beliefs um, for why they don't want a COVID vaccine. One is that they object to the genetic material in the vaccines, the viral vector vaccines. J&J has DNA in it, material and the, 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 the Pfizer and Moderna one have RNA material, which are also genetic material. And All monotheistic religions have various tenets that would oppose injecting genetic material, including, for example, corrupting God's design for the body. Um, Another common objection that we we see folks, you know, um, come to our firm and and tell us that they have is that, um, you know, that these that this COVID vaccine has been elevated to what they would consider a false idol because it's been viewed as, you know, it's being promoted as the only way to save humanity right now, that there's no other way to save humanity, that this is it um you know other medical products are not spoken about in this way but this product is and in their mind it's being elevated above god you know with regards to our future our health and other things where most religions say you know you shouldn't you should primarily rely on for health and your future on god um and, and secondarily on on medicine and so forth um but but here where the you know they view that, that this product has been elevated above that, uh, you know, their their religious beliefs. Um, they, they take issue with it from a religious perspective, and, and you know, and, and to boot, they're being forced to take it. You know, we've done hundreds of successful. We've helped hundreds of people obtain religious exemption successfully. Um, and and um, you know, the, the, but the the important thing is to make sure you get your statement uh, and, and prepare it properly. Um, uh, one other thing I'll note about it is that just because you obtain a religious exemption, folks should be aware that, um, uh, that when an employer grants a religious exemption, it can't be an undue burden on the employer. So if the person works remotely already, then there's no burden. But if the person is you know, in certain situations, the, you know, the employer might say, well, it's an undue burden to accommodate your religious belief. But when it comes to the COVID vaccine, I, I find it very difficult to see what Actual legitimate undue burden would exist because it doesn't stop infection transmission. Those who are v- vaccinated can still transmit. So, you know, but employers are nonetheless making the argument that, okay, I'm granting you a religious exemption, but you still can't work with customers because you aren't vaccinated, you could spread it, <laughs> while well, the vaccinated can spread it too. If if we have another minute, I'd love to talk about natural immunity as well.
1: So yeah, just real brief. And um, we got to sew this up. We're coming towards the hour marker here. But you you wrote a you had a correspondence back and forth with the various HHS agencies on natural immunity, meaning you you could literally have someone that had the virus but didn't have the shot, and he's being persecuted as if he's a leper. Um, where the science is incontrovertibly clear that if someone didn't have the virus but they got the shot, even when it was kind of working, and certainly now months later, that it's totally worn off, um, that they, they're a bigger threat. So, how does this tie into your legal work, and what was the response um, from CDC?
0: It, yeah, it's it's an incredible exchange. And Anybody that's had COVID, I, um, I, I, I've I strongly suggest you read this formal exchange with the CDC with regards to the fact that they have lifted restrictions on those who have been vaccinated but have not lifted restrictions on those that have natural immunity. My firm has been representing a group called the Informed Consent Action Network for the last five years. They've been at the, you know, at the leading edge um, of fighting uh, with regards to vaccine safety and, and coerced medical products. Um, and on their, it was on their behalf that we sent a formal petition to the CDC um, uh, laying out all the science that shows that natural immunity, meaning those that have been previously infected with COVID, have more robust and durable immunity to um, uh, the virus that causes COVID-19 than those who've been vaccinated. Um, because we did it through a, this formal legal mechanism, They see and we were able to also say and, you know, we're 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 able to threaten legal action um, if they either don't properly respond or or they don't respond at all. And hence, they did respond and they they sent us a formal response in which they laid out um, the science that they believe apparently supports their policy. And incredibly, they do not rebut any of the over 50 studies that clearly demonstrate then national immunity is more effective, meaning it, it lasts longer, it's more protective, and unlike vaccine immunity, it does prevent infection and transmission in, in almost all cases. They don't rebut any of that science. Instead, they cite one study that involved a few hundred people that didn't compare those with national immunity to vaccine yeah. immunity. It instead only compared those with national immunity to those with natural immunity yeah. plus vaccination so so in other
1: words for our audience this was the kentucky study um and there's tons of problems with it we don't have time to get into it but just to exaggerate to prove a point it's not much of an exaggeration uh cornell um while in cutter cornell's branch in cutter has shown that if you exclude natural immunity meaning those that have the shot but didn't get immunity because they're benefiting from our stuff sometimes with their study natural immunity um you're at negative 44 percent efficacy For um, symptomatic uh, infection from Pfizer, if you got the Pfizer shot over seven months later. Seven months later, it's at negative 44% effectiveness, which means that there's some degree of ADE going on there. Um, So, you know, let's say natural immunity is 99.1%. They'll say, well, if you have natural immunity on the Pfizer shot, it's 99.4%. Well, let's say that's true, but that has no bearings on what we're comparing here. Unbelievable. Um, folks, I, I recommend that you read what Aaron is talking about at his Substack Injecting Freedom with Aaron Siri. That's S I R I. Go to SiriLLP.com to find out a wealth of information. His webinar on those of you who are trying to seek exemptions. Uh, Aaron, we, we really want to have you back on to talk about some of the other legal avenues. Uh, this went by way too fast, but it was certainly very enlightening. You know, they they have a license to uh, mandate with no liability whatsoever. Very scary. Keep up the great work. Keep us updated. Folks, we are out of time till tomorrow. God bless you all. And thank you for listening.